Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Thank you, Curtis and team, for leading us today. Beautiful job. All the 90s worship kids in the house are, are loving that offering throwback. <laughs> Here at Graceland Church, there's currently a lot of demolition going on. Partially because we have actual demolition projects happening, but also partially because, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we have a growing number of Graceland kids gradually consuming our facility. In fact, I got the report this week that we're sending kids to kids camp this year in July, and that's a camp that the Tennessee Network of the Assemblies of God puts on. And the last two times that we sent kids there was 2019 and 2018. And actually 2018, it was even pre before I was here uh, at Graceland Church. Um, the only ones that we sent was my oldest daughter, November, and she went alone to kids camp and actually joined with uh, some other groups there that had larger groups. And I just got the report that this week, just between third and sixth graders, and this doesn't even represent all the kids that are here, but the ones that are going to a whole week of camp, we're sending 24 kids and four counselors. Isn't that amazing? From one to 24. And we're so thankful for just how God is filling his house with kids. But there is a healthy measure of destruction and demolition that comes with having that many kids in a church facility this size. It's kind of like at our house, my wife and I are still not yet buying any really valuable furniture. We're still at that stage. Someday, maybe down the line, we'll see. We've also had some demolition because of a recent windstorm. Do you guys remember that on Thursday night? This huge storm comes through, and it just whips our signs right over. I don't know if you noticed, our main sign got completely demolished in the wind. That smaller one went down too, but Randy was able to get that one back up a little bit. So there's demolition. We also started a major demolition project on this old house that is on our property right here. If you haven't noticed yet, we have equipment. At big cat machines, and half of the house almost is already gone just after two full days of work. We're going to have at least 10 giant loads going away in dumpsters uh, from that house. And the funding to do that came from our Christmas offering this last year. So uh, some of you guys weren't here. Some of you guys are that new that you weren't here for that, but we took a Christmas offering. Part of what it was for was to get that house down because it became a major liability to us beyond repair, even though it was beautiful. The longtime members here at the church have been uh, wanting to get that down for quite a while. And actually, uh, during the project on Thursday, uh, a woman and her daughter showed up, her grown daughter, who were the family that lived in that house, and I found out they lived there for almost 100 years, their family, uh, three or four generations. They bought it in 1911 and gradually put additions onto it and just left back in 2007. Um, they somehow heard that it was happening. They, of course, knew that at some point it was going to have to go, but still a very emotional thing. Uh, for them to see, especially halfway down, they're looking into like their old bedrooms and living room. And I got the text and I wasn't sure what to expect walking down there. And thankfully, the crew, the company that we hired are actually really strong followers of Christ, an excavation company that I think are going to be long-term partners for us with all of our land, which is a real godsend. But they were already ministering to the family. They had paused all demolition and they started to gather a few memorabilia that they could give to this family. They were both crying. 
not angry, but just emotional. And we were able to pause everything and just hear some of their story so that we could learn more about their heart. And then we empathize, we honor, and it was wonderful. And then they took the time to then hear from me and what God is doing here and our, our continued vision for Graceland Church and, and this property, because that family owned all the property that our church is on and this whole neighborhood is on and gradually sold it off. What could have been a challenging situation turned into a beautiful moment of ministry and connection because we took time to learn one another's hearts. And I was so very thankful for that. And that's what I'm entitling the sermon today. We're looking at Psalm 139. It's called Know My Heart. The context here is that this psalm is considered by many to be the crown of the psalms. And so I think it's very fitting to do this on Mother's Day because mothers are like the crown of our world. We, we love the moms and how they serve and they bring something so absolutely essential. This is the crown of the psalms. It was written masterfully, beautifully, poetically, and personally by King David. And I love how Kidner says it. Any small thoughts that we may have of God are magnificent magnificently transcended by this psalm. Yet for all its height and depth, it remains intensely personal from first to last. So it paints this giant picture of God, but it also paints this intimate God that we get to know personally. Uh, Many scholars believe that David likely wrote this psalm while being falsely accused or misunderstood about something. And all of us at some point in life learn the pain of being misunderstood, it's a terrible feeling, or the pain of being falsely accused about something. And you've probably had the thought like I've had before, thinking, how could you think this of me? You don't really know me or know my heart. Or sometimes it's even more painful when we feel accused by someone that we feel like does know us, but we've somehow been misrepresented in some sort of situation. There's been a lot of that, I would say, over this last year and a half as kind of divides have been built up. Many have felt misunderstood and not seen and not truly known, and it helps us understand the heart of David in this psalm, and it helps us relate to it when we think about that context, starting in verse 1. David said, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. This first section is talking about the omniscience of God, which is just the theological term for the truth that God is all-knowing. A wonderful author by the name of A.W. Tozer said, to say that God is omniscient is to say that he possesses perfect knowledge and therefore has no need to learn. But it is more, it is to say that God has never learned and cannot learn because he already knows everything. Now, as followers of Jesus, or just as mankind that maybe don't even have a mind towards Christ yet, we can kind of easily acknowledge, yeah, there's this God out there that knows everything. It's not hard to just kind of blanket statement acknowledge that, but I wanna challenge you under point number one here to prayerfully meditate on this truth and let it get deeper in you. Yes, God knows everything, but God also knows me personally and perfectly. So Psalm 139 is pointing out the fact that it's not just that he knows everything, he actually knows me. 
And the Hebrew word used for know here is yada, which means to know, but to know intimately and experientially. So God knows us perfectly. And if you look at the verbs used about God towards us in this first section of Psalm 139, it says he has searched you. He actually perceives you. And I love this. He discerns you're going out and you're lying down. Discerns mean you to understand something in the deepest way possible, to have a comprehensive knowledge. He actually discerns when you're getting up and going out somewhere in the morning, everything that's going on in you. And he actually discerns everything going on in you when you're laying your head on your pillow at night. And one of our great longings in life is just to be known. And how amazing is it to rest a little bit more into the reality that God perfectly and personally knows me. And I like how Beth Moore says it. There's nothing we long for and nothing we fear more than being fully known because someone who knows us may not love us. And there is that tension both in our relationship with God and with others. We desperately long to be known, but sometimes we resist it. She goes on to say, the vulnerability involved in being truly known is more risk than most of us are willing to take. Why? Because we've been hurt when tried. Now, when it comes to the Lord, I just want to encourage you, let your mind go crazy with imagination how good this God could be. Could it really be true that this creator of the heavens and the earth knows every little tiny corner and crevice of my own heart and mind, everything going on? Could that really be true? And if it, if it can be true, rest in the fact that he sees you and he discerns you. And that's why he says he already knows what you need before you pray it. There is this sense that when we are praying and making our requests known to God, it is more for us than for him. It's more us just acknowledging our need. We have to get to the point of understanding what we even need. But he knows everything we need. He discerns us. Charles Spurgeon, he said, you know me perfectly, far better than I know myself. You've made an inquisition and investigated every secret thing concerning me. Before I think a thought, while as yet it is not actually my thought, while it is still unformed and far away, you understand it. You not only know what it is, but you understand it, the motive from which it springs, the state of mind out of which it arises and where it leads. I was talking with my little brother. His name is Josh, two years younger than me. He's a pastor up in Pennsylvania. A few years ago, he was saying, Nathan, remember how dad used to always tell us like every day before we'd go to school and every day when we saw him at home, son, I love you and I like you. And I said to my brother, I was like, dad says that? And he was like, yeah, he has said that to me like every day of my life since I was like six years old. And I was like, really? We're in our mid to late 30s. I don't think I've ever heard dad say that once that he loves. I mean, I've heard him say he loves me. Let me clarify. I've never heard him say he likes me. This led to a great inquisition with my father. And I said, Dad, and he, you know, he's good. At, he's supposed to be good at these kind of things, counselor, pastor, man of God. And I said, what? Do you say this to Josh all the time? And he was like, oh, yeah, every day. I was like, do you say that to me? And I just didn't remember. He was like, no, I don't, I don't say that to you. <laughs> True story. I gradually learned the backstory that when we were younger, my brother was going through a tough time as a little kid at one point, and my dad just started to think it was important to tell him, I love you, Josh, but I also really like you. 
And apparently my dad never saw fit to include me in that kind of bubble of being liked by my father. It's probably why I'm in therapy now. I actually, I actually preached at the church that they're both on staff at in Pennsylvania and shared this story not too long ago, wanting sympathy, but everyone just laughed like what you guys are doing now. Like it was like zero sympathy, zero prayers for Nathan, just laughing. He likes my brother. Oh, and to, to add salt to the wound, over the family dinner that day when I shared it in their church up in Pennsylvania, we all gathered for a big family dinner. My little sister was there too, the spouses, all the grandkids. And um, it came up and my little sister said, oh yeah, he says that to me too. He loves me and he likes me. I was the one lone sibling that literally not once did I hear that from my father. And to this day, even after making this known, he's never said it to me. So dad, if you're watching online, a tear sheds. I think this is interesting about God our Father, though, because sometimes, again, we can kind of blanket statement this thing and be like, I know God loves me. That's amazing. But this psalm is saying, God discerns you. God knows everything about you. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows you more than you know yourself. And even with all that knowledge, he says, I love you, my beloved daughter, my beloved son. And then he also says, I, I genuinely like you. And I think we just missed this in our theology and in our understanding of God. And we're gonna dive a little bit more into that throughout the rest of this psalm. Let's read on in verse seven. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. What we're talking about here is the omnipresence of God. This is the theological term for the truth that he is everywhere at all times. C.S. Lewis described it this way. We may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito. And once again, it's easy for us to kind of say, yeah, God is everywhere. But I want you to take it deeper into your soul this morning. Yes, God is everywhere, but God is also with me, passionately and relentlessly. How awesome is it to realize that God is passionately with you? Look at what this text says. How good is it to realize that God is relentlessly with you? You can't run far enough. You can't want to quit bad enough. He's with you. You can't put enough darkness around you, the scripture says. Even when you say, I'm surrounded and covered by darkness, he turns it into the light of day because darkness is as light to him. He's with you relentlessly. That is such good news. And that's fully realized in the, in the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The full revelation and picture of the living God is in Jesus, who says, I am so relentlessly with you that though you run, though you slay me, God would say, though you actually would put me on this cross, I do this for you. I'm relentlessly with you. And in that sense, this is a prophetic psalm, because this, this Messiah was not fully realized yet, though they knew he was coming. A.W. Tozer also said this, when we sing, draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, the classic hymn. We are not thinking of the nearness of place, but the nearness of relationship. It is for increasing degrees of awareness that we pray. 
for a more perfect consciousness of the divine presence. We need never shout across the spaces to an absent God. He is nearer than our own soul, closer than our most secret thoughts. And I love this. He is nearer to us than we are to ourselves. He is so in and through us that it's beyond our understanding. The psalmist continues in verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This third section is talking about the omnipotence of God. That is that he is all-powerful and created all things by the power of his word. And again, it's easy to make the blanket statement, God is creator, but I wanna encourage you to sit more deeply in the truth. Yes, God created everything, but God also created me fearfully and wonderfully. And the word fearfully here is not talking about to have terror about something or to be scared. It's talking about deep reverence and intentionality. You were made by God with deep reverence and intentionality about what he was making. And he literally put the wonders of himself into you were made with that kind of wonder. There's a great poem by St. Teresa of Avila. It's called God Desired Me. She said, a thousand souls hear his call every second. But most everyone then looks into their life's mirror and says, I am not worthy to leave this sadness. When I first heard his courting song, I too looked at all I had done in my life and said, how can I gaze into his omnipresent eyes? I spoke those words with all my heart, but then he sang again, a song even sweeter. And when I tried to shame myself once more, from his presence, God showed me his compassion and spoke a divine truth. I made you, beloved, and all I make is perfect. Please come close, for I desire you. In the tradition that must, many of us are used to with how we understand God and us and our relationship to him, we have made much of the depravity of man, which I believe is correct, that we are sinful and fallen and sometimes, though, with a steady diet of that, without understanding the beauty and wonder with which you were made, you can start to have shame about yourself and who you are and feel like maybe God made a mistake or didn't, didn't make you correctly. But the, the, the scope of Scripture tells us that God, who's perfect in all his ways, made you just like he wanted to. You might have even said during that poem, God didn't make me perfect. God did make you perfect. Yes, there's sin. Yes, there's brokenness. And there needs to be redemption. But God made you as he desired to make you. And that was with choice. God made you to look as you look. God made you with the temperament that you have. God made you to be you. God made you not to be like the one who's next to you. Uniquely you and special. And it's incredibly important, I believe, to as you grow in maturity as a follower of Christ, learn to rest in your skin. Learn to rest in your personality. Learn to rest in your giftedness, your temperament, seeing all of it as from him, perfectly designed for you. 
He is the creator. He's perfect in all his ways. So it's almost like, I don't wanna spit on the artist by shaming myself. I don't wanna spit on the artist by not walking in the gift that he created me to be. This is also a text that talks about how God knows and cares for babies in the womb. And I believe it points to the fact, as, long, as well as the scope of Scripture, that God's concern for life begins in the womb. And so as followers of Christ, we have responsibility to babies who are still in the womb. And as you know, caring for life in the womb has become politicized in our culture. But hear me carefully. It is not primarily a political issue. It is a theological issue. Because God has said, I create man in my image. You are an image bearer. Every little baby while inside of that mother is an image bearer of God. And so this is not to shame you if you've had an abortion. In fact, we have a whole ministry here called Save One that is all about ministering to not just women, but men and families and friends that are dealing with post-abortion trauma. And so if that's you, we would love to connect you with that ministry, and there's ways to do it anonymously. You can talk to me, but we'll present you with a way to do it anonymously with a number. I'm actually not prepared with that phone number today, but we can get that to you. It's Sue Stutz, one of our team members who leads that ministry. But let's be very clear. Um, life is sacred in the womb. And by the way, this same Imago Day image of God reality applies to a lot of other issues in our culture today, racial equality, welcoming the stranger, caring for the poor, hear me carefully, have been politicized, but they are not primarily political issues. They are theological issues because every person is an image bearer. And if we are followers of Christ, we are called to love and serve and offer grace and mercy and reach out to the image bearers of God. Are you guys with me? David then takes a really interesting, like sharp left turn in Psalm 139. He has like sung about the wonder of God's omniscience. He knows everything. He's sung about the wonder of God's omnipresence. He's everywhere. He's with me. The wonder of God's omnipotence. He's the creator. And then he says in verse 19, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. And it's like, whoa, where did that come from? If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. How do you go from talking about being in the womb as an image bearer and your frame not hidden from him in the secret place to talking about how you hate the enemies, you have nothing but hatred. It just seems like a sharp left turn. And on one hand, what David is doing here is longing for righteousness and justice. Again, there's something happening in his life. There are bloodthirsty people. There are those that are doing thing, things opposed to the name of the Lord. There are people that are opposing the king. And of course, he is making an assumption that he retracts from at the end of this psalm, which we can be guilty of sometimes, and that is we think that we are the ones who are solely on the Lord's side and the others are over there, which, by the way, it's always far more nuanced than that because, again, every person is an image bearer. There is no person or type of person that we are battling here in the world. We're in a spiritual battle. David, though, and I love this about the psalms, is crying out exactly what is in his heart. So it's okay 
when stuff like this shows up in your journal. You should talk to the Lord about it. And you can, in fact, go from the wonders of God to talking about hating the enemies of God. What I want to focus in on is those first two words, if only. It's as if David gets distracted from these incredible promises and gets stuck in an if only. And I want to encourage you, don't get stuck in a mindset of if only. And here's what I mean by that. If only justice could happen the way I see it. If only others could be what I think they should be. Just last night, I was perusing social media before going to bed. A great place to pick up some if onlys, right? And I saw someone that's a friend, not anyone that's here, no, no, no one that anyone here would know. And I got really upset about what they said on social media internally. And I don't engage with people on social media about that stuff at all because it doesn't work. But it, it upset me internally and it made me think, how can, we, how can I go on? How can we go on if this, if this is what's happening? It upset me that much. How can they have that opinion about this cultural challenge right now? I was that just like disconnected from what they're doing. It really messed with my head. Can we just be honest? How many of you guys have been there like a hundred times over the last year? How about a thousand? I mean, it's, just, it's, it's all, it's, our culture's full of that right now. And, and if we're not careful, we start thinking of others as enemies and we start wanting to take justice into our hands. And what I call that is trying to carry what is not ours to carry. That is the Lord's to carry. And here's the thing though, it'll become a detriment to you if you carry that. I realized in the middle of it last night, I was struggling and it just, it messed with my whole my whole zone that I was getting ready to go to bed in, getting ready to get up and preach. And I then remembered the sermon. I was like, oh, wow, I'm doing exactly what David did right there. I'm thinking, if only, God, you would get rid of this person <laughs> or at least get rid of them until they change their mind about this and stop saying this. And you know what I mean? And I said to be like, wait a second. And David models for us exactly what to do in the next verse. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is an offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The final principle today, the way everlasting comes from within. It is not out there, it's in here. Contentment is not out there, it starts in here. The peace of God is not an elusive thing out there that you somehow get to a place in life where you magically find this peace. It starts in here and it can only start right now. It can't start tomorrow, because when it's tomorrow, it will be today. It can only start in here right now. The joy of the Lord, it's not out there, it's here. Hope in the things of God and the promises is not out there, it's in here. Love and identity is not out there, it's in here. I wanna encourage you, one of these themes of the Psalms is to take ownership of what is yours to carry and let go of what is God's to carry. Look at that last Two verses again. What is he emphasizing here? Search me. Who's he saying search? Everybody that I'm upset at? All those that hold the other view? All those that I think are the problem? All those that are here? All those that are holding this position? Nope, search me. Know my heart. Test me. That's a dangerous prayer. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is an offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I think what he's giving us there and what the Lord is giving us through this beautiful ancient poem is that the way to walk in the way of everlasting, the only way to do that is to stick with this prayer. 
Stick with this prayer. Lay all the other stuff down. And by the way, if onlys don't just, re, don't just apply to when we're upset at other people. If onlys are also things like, if only I could be what I think I should be. Am I really only this far by now? If only this circumstance could happen like I think it should happen. I have a few friends here today visiting from the church I pastored in LA uh, who are in Atlanta now and then in Central California now. It's good to have you guys here. And um, you want to come say it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Amazing people uh, that Jess and I got to journey with for years. They saw Novi this morning, and she's like a totally different person than the last time they saw her. That's my oldest daughter. But the first year that we were planning a church in LA, and let me have the team come up as I share this story. Uh, we had grown that team to about 25 people, and we were planting a church on the west side of Los Angeles. Uh, none of them were actually there yet. They came later. And I was in a coffee meeting, and Curtis, my friend, knows what it is to plant a church and the challenges you face. And it's not that different from like starting a business or stepping out on some big dream or venture, and you're just going for it uh, by faith and, and working your hardest. And we had about 25 people, and I was starting to kind of feel like a joke. <laughs> Have any of you guys ever felt like a joke? with something you were trying to do? I, no, just me, oh, wow. You guys are really encouraging me today. You don't like me, you, no one relates to, I'm just kidding. I was feeling like, like this, this is not a legitimate church, this is a glorified community group, is what, the, what I was like saying to myself, 25 people. And I started thinking like, if only we had 75. That was my number at that time. If we had 75, we'd be a small church, but it would be legit. Somehow that was in my mind. It'd be legit. We had raised money. People were supporting us. I could tell people. And so here became my if only. If only the people that we're trying to share the gospel with in LA would respond quicker. Goodness, these people. If only these people that we're there to love and serve, by the way, would just commit harder. Come on. Kingdom of God. If only. If only we could get to 75. And ultimately, it became quite selfish at the end of the day. And I sat down in my car after that meeting. It was with Josh Galbincia, by the way, that, that lunch meeting, someone that they know. And I sat down, and God directed me right to Psalm 139. And I had never really seen this kind of thought in this psalm of getting stuck in an if only. And I read through the whole psalm, all of these wonderful things, and got right to the if only. And it's like God spoke to me like lightning, and he said, that is you. And you can either choose to live stuck in the if onlys or you can slip back into the wonders of God and all these promises and all these glorious truths that are right now in your life. In other words, it's not out there. It's not tomorrow. It's not 10 years from now. It's not once this or that. You know when it is? Now. You know where it is? Here. You are right in the middle of the highest calling of your life now, which is to know God. He says, I know you. And he invites you to know him. He wants that to become the primary pursuit of your life. And when it does, and you realize that is the greatest thing I've been invited into, period. Everything else, the pressure's off. It's like gravy on the mashed potatoes. I'm in my highest calling. Yes, there's things to work out. There's issues, there's challenges. But goodness, we've arrived. I'm here. I'm not striving. Nothing to prove, no one to impress. What a wonderful truth to rest in. Am I right? So my prayer for us this morning, and let's actually just go to prayer. Lord, we thank you for this treasure of Psalm 139. We thank you that it's, it's been preserved and spoken by your spirit through David for us today. What an incredible thing. We thank you that it's fully realized in the good news of Jesus. 
And if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you yet, I pray they just pray this in their heart. God, I want to know you. I need you. I ask for forgiveness. I commit my life to you. I might have been running for a long time. I want to follow you for all the rest of my days. And I don't even fully know what that looks like, but I've tried other ways. They don't work. I am hungry to know you. And maybe you're here this morning and you're just totally caught up in not just one if only, but a bunch of if onlys. They tend to stack up. Once we start thinking like that, we can find if onlys in every area of our life and live with complete discontent, completely robbed of joy and peace. And if that's you today, let's just tell God, we, we ask for forgiveness, God, for getting stuck in a mindset of if only. We lay it down. We lay it down. Remind us of the high calling that we have right now. We also lay down the if-onlys about people that, that bother us, people that annoy us right now, people that we see as the enemy, people that can say two words and immediately be under our skin. It could be a family member. It could be someone we see on TV or social media. It could be a train of thought. Whatever it is, God, remind us we are only meant to carry what is ours to carry, and we do not carry the unfolding of your justice perfectly on the earth. We do not carry responsibility for others' actions and words. So remind us, like the psalmist reminded himself, to pray the prayer about us. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Lead me in the way everlasting. And remind me that you're with me. Remind me that you know me. You discern me. Remind me that you created me wonderfully, fearfully. Remind me of the value that I have right here and right now, sitting restfully in your presence. Let's just sing this the simple line, there's no place I'd rather be. We thank you so much for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll continue uh, the Psalms next week. Uh, moms, don't forget, take one of the plants on your way out. Um, if you have a mom you'd like to take one too, you can take one as well. My little daughter Novi asked if she could pray the benediction over us today, so I said yes. So Novi's going to come on up and pray this benediction out of Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. And I pray that you be rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and know that his love surpasses that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Thank you, sweetheart. Love you guys very much. Happy Mother's Day. Have a wonderful afternoon.